Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. I'm uh, glad to be here tonight. Uh, It seems like everything has been running so smoothly today, Um, and I'm happy to be here to introduce you uh, and have a great conversation with um, a uh, therapist, a author, activist, motivational speaker, and and business owner um, uh, who has has a special experience that we would love to hear about. Um, and so I'm pleased to introduce you to uh, Mr. Ronnie Sidney. Uh, welcome, Ronnie. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for being on the show. Now, Ronnie, I see that you are the second, so I want to make sure. Do you do you do you go by Ronnie Sydney the second, or do you are you okay with just Ronnie Sydney? You can call me uh, Lil Ron. <laughs> you can call me <laughs> Ron. You can call me Ronnie. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, my father, he he's a pastor, so I kind of grew up in the shadows. I hear you. Everybody calls me Little Ron. Okay, Little Ron. (laughs) Okay, well, Ron, thank you for being on the show. Um, Those of you who who are listening in, uh, Ronnie is a uh, licensed clinical social worker and has uh, spent um, well over a decade in the mental health field, and he has um, uh, written some books, um, and so um, Ronnie. Uh, is in the uh, Virginia area. Um, I see that, you know, he's a graduate of uh, Virginia Commonwealth. And um, just like me, he has daughters, hasn't caught up with me yet. I have four. Ronnie has three. <laughs> um, and, um, but I am, um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to Ronnie about uh, your work. Um, but first, I want to start out because I, I think, you know, what would be really interesting for me is to hear a little bit about your experiences, your own personal experiences in your um, K-12 experience as a special education student. And you, you have, you have uh, talked about that before and, um, and would love for you to just talk a little bit about that and then bring us to current, to where you are now. Um, but would love to hear about your experiences in, in school as a special ed student and how they impacted what you're currently doing. Absolutely. So uh, I started uh, special education services in elementary school, and I didn't quite know, you know, the difference between special education and general education services. And I tell people that special education back then was fun because, you know, being a kid in the young grades when you get pulled out of class, it's sort of a good thing, and uh, you get to go to a small room, get attention, and sometimes get prizes. So it wasn't too bad in elementary school. It wasn't until I got in about sixth or seventh grade that I started noticing, you know, what students were being taken to special education and which students were remaining in the classroom. So it was around that time where I felt, you know, felt more stigmatized in terms of, you know, receiving those services. 
And the one good thing is that I had a really uh, impactful teacher, my special education teacher, Ruth Toby. And I would say she was probably one of the most inspirational educators you know, that I've ever had it experience had experience with. So she really sort of motiv- motivated me, empowered me, and gave me sort of that belief that you not know, to transition to the general classroom because that was mm-hmm. always my goal, you know, was to be in class with my friends. And my friends were, you know, high academic achievers. And being in special education, you don't quite get, you know, some you don't get the same classes opportunities that you know some general education students get so when I went to high school I was really hoping that I'd be able to you know get out of the special education program and you know go on a general education path and once I got the special once I got to high school which our eighth grade was in the high school uh, I was placed in uh, self-contained special education which was mm. I, I felt was much more of a uh, restricted setting and um, I went home and I include this in my book, Nelson Beats the Odds, but I went home and, you know, came to my dad. And I, when I was writing Nelson Beats the Odds, I talked to my dad about, you know, my special education experience because a lot of it I don't quite remember. It's only bits and pieces. And uh, he told me that, you know, I got home and I cried like a baby. And, um, you know, hearing him say, I don't remember crying, but I, I can still sort of experience what it was like to be, sort of place in that classroom and just how angry and how resentful I felt. And the next day he, you know, went to the school and he talked to the special education coordinator and um, they took me out of the self-contained room. Um, and I remained in special education to the end of ninth grade. And then in 10th grade, I was, I had transitioned out. Um, even though I had transitioned out of special education, it was a fight for me to really get the classes I needed to prepare me for college. It's almost, you know, like once you once you get placed in special education, you sort of have to deal with low teacher expectations and you know, that, that path to college is not offered, you know, to you. I had a difficult sure. time getting foreign language classes. Um, you know, I, I didn't really know what the GPA was. I didn't really understand what it took to get to college until I was in twelfth grade and I was actually looking at applying to college and I realized I was nowhere near meeting the academic requirements to do so. Uh, so uh with you know limited opportunities I decided to enroll the community college after high school. Um and I said that I was gonna do it without the special education services. And a lot of it was really ego. Uh a lot of it was proving, you know, not just to myself well not just the other but to prove to myself that I was capable of you know, achieving academic success. And um, I really felt like community college was the, one of the best decisions I made. And I would say also one thing that really helped me was uh, computers were becoming a lot more popular for doing, you know, in the education realm. It created uh, an opportunity for me to communicate better because one of my disabilities was dysgraphia, which is, uh, typically impacts the person's handwriting. And uh, my handwriting was something that I felt that really hindered uh, me academically because it was difficult for me to write legibly. And um, during that time, computers weren't really popular during K-12. But when I went to college, it was much more uh, accessible. So, uh, you know, I could see what I was doing. Um, I really liked Microsoft Word because, uh, you know, having ADHD and, you know, not really having that organizational ability. I felt like with Microsoft Word, I was capable of 
organizing myself better, being able to read my ideas, being able to see them. Um, and it, and I really started to do well with typing my papers and uh, presenting my work that way. And um, I like college, too, because, you know, I could take, you know, I can go take a class uh, once a week or I can take it three times a week or twice a week, whereas in, in when I was doing K-12, you had to take seven classes a day, which, mm. you know, having difficulty with, you know, executive functioning and ADHD, it was quite a bit of a challenge to organize myself for seven different classes and to be able to stay focused and, um, you know, excel. So in college, I could, you know, limit my case, limit my class, my course load, and also select classes I was interested in. And I think that was another, you know, big piece, Um, you know, and, and also getting out of the environment where, you know, you have, these teachers who, you know, every, I'm sure every time you have a transition from one grade to another, there's a list of students' names who <laughs> get passed along. And, uh-huh. you know, just having that experience, you know, I always felt like sometimes you work to the expectations of others. And, um, you know, when I went to college, you know, I, there were no expectations. I was sort of the one, you know, creating those expectations and I wanted to really ex- try to excel and improve myself. So, um, I just, you know, continued to raise the bar. Uh, I was able to earn my four-year degree from Old Dominion University in human services. Uh, I went to college uh, to earn my master's degree from VCU. And, um, you know, it's just not something I ever anticipated or saw myself doing in 12th grade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I felt like once I was able to overcome one challenge, it just became easier to just continue to, you know, achieve success on other levels. So when it came to me writing a book, by having those early successes and being able to sort of show myself that truly the limit, you know, I was able to just to use, you know, those those communication skills, some of the skills I learned throughout life, you know, having challenges and learning how to navigate and it just made uh, publishing a book, you know, that much easier. Yeah. You know, um, thank you for sharing that. You you said a few things that I, I, I do want to go back to, I guess, first, when you were talking about your experience early on and, and uh, in special education and then going to high school, initially being placed in a self-contained classroom. You know, I know what that is, but describe that. What so and and what it was like exactly you know when you walked in what were what were the capacity or the the abilities of the the other students that were in that classroom that made you feel um you know f- feel bad about being there in the self-contained classroom so a lot of the kids in the classroom um you know there were some kids with you know some more severe uh like more autism uh, some nonverbal, and then you had individuals in there who were able to read, write, uh, do math, but it was very, it had limited capacity for it. So mm-hmm. for me, I always felt that I was as capable as anyone else, um, and I felt, you know, that that the pace, the academic rigor uh, was not there. Um, I really felt like it was more of a punishment. Uh, I felt like it was more of a way to get me out of the, you know, the, the general education teacher's classroom uh, and not be a distraction. So, 
when I walked in the room, I, I felt it was more of a, uh, for me, I just felt it was more, it was felt more humiliated almost um, mm-hmm. because I knew I was capable of much more. Um, but yeah. to really see that that's the way that the school, you know, felt. Um, and it was almost uh, very depressing because I had an expectation of being in a certain, you know, classes and then to have that change it was almost like a 180. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I knew it was an environment I didn't like. The classroom, it wasn't in a regular uh, school. It was in the annex uh, part, and it was the way I remember the classroom being set up. It, it was all windows. So if you were going to art or to auto mechanics, you walked by, and you could see everybody in the classroom. And um, it, almost, it was almost like they were in there, almost like a – like an experiment almost like they were like lab rats. And, uh, you know, I just didn't want that. I was always embarrassed about being seen going to special education. Mm-hmm. I used to go to class really early or really late just to avoid people, you know, identifying me that way. And uh, my friends, you know, they didn't know I was in special education until I got to college and I felt comfortable telling them. Uh, so it was, so I just did that good of a job, you know, keeping people from knowing, you know, what was going on and, you know, sort of just walking in the shadows, which I think is, is, is really difficult to manage. Yes, and it, and it sounds like, um, you know, what the way you're describing it, that what really helped you was the idea of having assistive technology. Um, you, you know, you had, uh, if you since you said you had problems with writing, just being able to. Um, have access to technology that helped you to type or um, and one really big one that I think is, is that stands out for me is what you point out about just being able to um, have your learning style met uh, where you, you went from having the same classes that had mixed levels of success um, on a daily basis to um, being able to spread that out a bit and plan differently when you got to college. But, but for me, it just jumps out that this is a kind of a learning style issue. And, and so the challenge is not trying to push everybody through kind of the, the square uh, hole and that everyone will learn the exact same way. Not so much that, um, there's something wrong with you is that you have a different learning style and other challenges that can be addressed. Um, when you, when you, my question too, though, is when you were uh, in special ed, did it seem as though there was a pathway out of special ed for anyone? Um, were there, were there, Areas where, because you, you said there was there was a range in this in this um, self-contained classroom, but that there was a range of people in one class from autistic, nonverbal, also with people who could do math and science or or read and write. Um, did there seem to be a plan among those people who were in charge of the educational programming, um, a pathway out of special ed? You know what? That's that's a good question. I mean, the kids that I you know I went through special education with, 
they didn't really seem to really they had a motivation to, you know, to get out of it. I think the teachers sort of expected them that they would need that type of assistance throughout school. So I don't really feel like there was like a push to get people out. But I will say that my middle school special education teacher, she did see that potential in me. And um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you need someone to see it. And oftentimes being in a general education room, and especially if you're a student that's easily distracted and not uh, quite putting forth the academic effort that, uh, you know, teachers do typically see you as a disruption and they sort of, uh, they marginalize you. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you get a teacher who sees that potential and and tries to prepare you and uh, you know believes that you can do that, it, it does it does make a huge difference. And you know the learning style, especially in college, when te- you saw a professor using PowerPoint and um, knowing that I don't have to stay in this class for an entire year that it's only a semester. And yeah. being, and I think the, the way you can sort of condense the time, I I think really really helped me along with the PowerPoint just being more of an interactive format, getting a syllabus and knowing, okay, this is what I'm doing this week, so I can sort of see it planned out in my mind. Um, I think that was also good. And, um, you know, with the professors, I think they definitely have had higher expectations. And, again, you know, I, I truly believe that kids do reach, they do rise to the level of expectations for their educators and my special education teacher, she used to say that she teach, she teaches her students to do life with their disabilities. And I yeah. think that sometimes special education students may get teachers who feel sorry for them and, you know, try to do their work for them. And I will tell you, you know, if you are a student with a disability or some type of learning talent, you do learn ways to manipulate people and you learn ways to procrastinate and I mean mm-hmm. these things you really you really maximize that and sometimes you have different distractions whether it's being a class clown being a star athlete different things to sort of take yeah. your attention away from you know some of the challenges that you have and um, you know going through those different things it, it does teach you some life skills that you know you use your life to, to fake it till you make it and um, also for me stigmatism and um, I didn't like wearing my glasses to school and it wasn't until about 10th grade that I felt comfortable wearing my glasses and that alone you know improved my academic uh, improved uh, me academically so it was just it was so many different things um, together uh, almost like a perfect storm but um, luckily I was able to pull it together uh, you know at the end and just really having been fortunate enough too to see my sister graduate from college. You know, I saw my mother go do community college while I was, you know, young. I saw my dad, you know, earn his doctorate and you know, in, in divinity and knowing that he was a high school dropout, you know, my mom she had failed a grade in school and just to see them, you know, achieve and educationally, you know, collegially, it really just push me to feel like I, I can't be the only one in this family, you know, doesn't, you know, achieve some type of success. So having, right. you know, those role models, whether it's parents, also seeing my friends have ambitions, you know, all of those things, you know, I was, I was beneficial to have those, those uh, people and those experiences in my life to really sort of, you know, elevate me. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, I, there, you're not the only person, I mean, including me that, 
um, had teachers and, and I've heard so many times the, the one teacher people talk about that saw something in them um, and made all the difference in the world. Some of us had, you know, more than one, but there's certainly uh, where, you know, you, you run across people who, who see something and they have high expectations for you and are not going to let you do less than what you're capable of. And they stay on you and they talk to you. And it sounds like you had that. Um, my question for you is, so when you were going through special ed and, you know, you were experiencing this and, and um, you, you know, sometimes people um, had expectations for you that were low expectations, um, how, did, did that make you feel as though that was exactly what you should do, like you shouldn't try to do more, or um, was that actually, it had the opposite effect. It made you more, um, you know, more motivated to do more. Because for some people, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Someone, here's, here's the bar, uh, you, you shouldn't do better than this, and then they don't. Um, but other people say it was the fact that someone told me I could not do this much is what pushed me to try to get there. What was it for you? It, it was it was a little of both. Um, and, and also I will say this too, you know, being an African-American male, I feel like the bar is even lower um, mm. in, terms of, in terms of expectations. So, you know, you sort of have that cultural piece over top of the, academic over top of the disciplinary, I mean, not disciplinary, but the disability. So it was very layered. Um, but I will say, you know, that when I had a teacher tell me and other classmates that we weren't going to college, I think that was the first time in my life where a teacher actually affirmed the way that I felt. Um, and, you know, I told myself in that moment that I was going to college. I made that up in my mind. However, my uh, effort never changed um, until about, I would say, about 12th grade when there was sort of impending doom that I figured out what I was going to do. But, um, you know, I, I, I would say that in 11th, I think it was 12th grade, I did put effort into this one class. It was an algebra class. And in Virginia, we have these standard learning state assessments where, you know, you have to take this test for math or science or history. And uh, you had to reach at a certain score, and I really felt like my math teacher didn't think I could pass the test. Uh And I didn't think that she really uh, taught to me because she didn't think I was going to pass the test. So I wanted to prove her wrong, and I ended up passing the test. Um, And it was just more so because I I was like, man, she really stepped on me. She didn't believe in me. So I have to believe in myself. And um, I think that sort of created this this internal motivation that really is like a, it's like a, once you really, you know, learn it and you consistently do it, it's almost like this motor, you know, that you have to where I don't need other people to motivate me or to encourage me. Then now I have this engine where I can, you know, provide that encouragement and that motivation for myself. And I will say that's probably when it really started to grow. Hello, it looks like we're having some technical difficulty. Uh, Ronnie, are you there? Yeah, I'm back. 
Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we, you know, the funny thing is uh, that uh, for those of you listening in live, uh, I, I told Ronnie um, before we started the show, I said, you know, it's only happened once in over 10 years that I was disconnected, and how about that? It just happened again. And so it looks like we had uh, a glitch in the system that took us both off. So I'm glad to be back. So um, we'll, it was just a short interruption, so we'll, we'll uh, continue um, where you left off, Ronnie. Okay. I'm not exactly sure where we left off at. Uh, I believe the last question sort of was about, you know, how um, – the different academic experiences motivated me or discouraged me. Uh, which part was that? Right, you, you, the there? last thing you were talking about was you the algebra class and that you, it motivated you, and you uh, you were able to um, you were able to be successful in the algebra class. So I don't know if you had finished that thought. Oh yeah, I was I was just saying that I would say that's when um, I learned how to to motivate myself, and I was able to. Uh, find um, sometimes the the negativity take the negative almost like taking the lemons and turn it into lemonade, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I would say in in grade school it didn't quite motivate me as much. However, um, as I got older, you know, I sort of took that as almost a a, a call to to achieve and to ex- exceed my own expectations. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, I want to before you know we we've been talking about that aspect of of your experience, and so I want to give it just a minute. I, I we're going to end up going over a little bit, but that's okay. We anticipated that because I knew this would be a great uh, conversation. So here you are now. You finished um, your your master's degree at VCU. And now you're a clinical social worker. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're what you're doing and the people you're helping in that role. Yes, uh, currently I, I work at a, a detention center. Um, I'm a licensed uh, clinical social worker there. I provide uh, behavioral health uh, services for those individuals. Uh, a lot of my career was spent working with youth and families, and I would say that would probably be my biggest passion: working with youth and families. Um, I've also had some correctional experience, uh, which, you know, I, I I would say corrections is probably the one area that a lot of people shy away from. But, you know, for me, it was a population that I really felt I could engage uh, and really work with because it's a hugely underserved population. Um, and when you talk about trauma, especially working, and I work primarily with men, and you talk about mental health, there's a lot of stigma around those things. So to really work with men and uh, have them to be able to process various experiences, um, you really see that it, it is beneficial uh, to have those conversations, especially among, amongst your peers, and yeah. to really work on healing. Um, I think that's really been something that really uh, sort of motivates me because a lot of men, especially those in, in the correctional atmosphere, haven't had therapy, haven't, you know, really accessed those emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And then now you have these, uh, you have uh, a few different books that you've written. Um, tell us about those books, because one I know is a semi-autobiography, 
uh, in the form of a comic book that talks about your experiences in special ed. Now, is that the one that you were talking about earlier, Nelson Beats the Odds? Is that the, the semi-autobiographical? Yes, Nelson Beats the Odds is my first book and by far my most popular book. And it is a book that I wrote about uh, myself and my education experience. Um, it is semi-autobiographical. There are pieces of it that I embellish just, you know, for uh, for various values. And I followed that book up with Tamika's New Dress, which is another graphic novel. All, all of my books are uh, illustrated by Tracy Von Wagner and Imagine That. Uh, design and um, you know that book is about it's focusing more so on trauma uh, and it sort of takes different pieces of different families, different clients I worked with in the last you know ten years and I really mm-hmm. wanted to write a book that I could give to a child who's living with a grandparent who's experienced trauma and experienced bullying and needs uh, something to sort of motivate them and to elevate their mood and also self-esteem, which I think is an area that is sometimes uh, overlooked, you know, for kids. Uh, So I really wanted a book to touch that. And my last graphic novel was Rest in Peace with Sean, Reloaded, which is a story about a young man uh, who uh, is playing with an airsoft gun, like a BB gun, and uh, a police officer sees him with it and, uh, you know, confronts him and his brother gets involved and, you know, someone ends up getting killed and the kid sort of has to deal with the grief and the trauma associated with that, but also with the influence of gangs in his community and uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure and trying to navigate life, you know, as a juvenile and making those uh, decisions that, you know, come with consequences. So, it's really a story about, you know, social justice, a story about, you know, uh, dealing with, you know, gangs, a story about dealing with grief and uh, a young man processing his emotions without really having a, a, a blueprint, you know, to do so. Wow, that, those sound amazing um, uh, that you, you have these uh, – these books. Um, so where can people find them? Where where can they get them, and how can they reach you? So the books are available uh, on Amazon. That was, that's probably one of my biggest uh, and best outlets to purchase uh, books. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E-S-I-D-N-E-Y-N-I-I, Ronnie Sidney II. Uh, also on, on Twitter, uh, you can at Ronnie Sydney the second. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ronnie Sydney the second, and um, also have some videos on YouTube. You can check out. I have a website NelsonBCOs.com. You can learn about booking. Uh, professional speaking is another hat that I wear, and I really enjoy getting out to schools. Uh, matter of fact, I have a, a assembly that I'm doing and a writing workshop that I'm doing on Friday. I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I love speaking. I love sharing my story with kids. I love motivating kids. Um, I felt like the experiences I had, um, you know, were for me to be able to, you know, uh, I won't say minister, but to be able to share my story to hopefully impact and motivate, encourage, and elevate a child. Wow. Yeah, I I would agree with you, and um, I'm just wishing you much success in, in that. Um, and I will definitely 
uh, look to to get the Nelson Beats Odd series. I'm sure I have a number of young people in in my family that are coming up and learning to read and and would benefit from seeing uh, characters in books that look like them. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably uh, jotting these down so that they can um, they can acquire them as well. But these are available. The names of these are available on the site. For those of you who are listening, if you didn't get a chance to write those down, uh, they're available on the site. So, Ronnie, it's been such a pleasure having you. Sorry about our little glitch there for a moment, but we just, hey, we kept right on rolling. So, um, but uh, this conversation was very uh, enlightening for me. I learned a lot. I know that uh, the listeners did too. Um, and as I said earlier, just wishing you the greatest of success, um, hoping to that our paths cross again. Um, but until then, uh, wishing you well and go well, stay well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dr. Perkins, for the opportunity. Have a blessed day. 